This is Champagne Problems, where we come together to explore the gray areas of drinking. This is a judgment-free zone where we can all take a look at how we make decisions about our relationship with alcohol. Welcome back, everybody. Today, we're bringing two very special guests onto the show by the names of Dr. David Nutt and David Oren. Dr. Nutt is a renowned psychiatrist and neuropsychopharmacologist who specializes in the research and study of drugs that affect the brain and conditions such as addiction, anxiety, and sleep disorders. David Oren is an experienced leader in businesses that bring innovation, change, and opportunity for wider societal transformation. These two well-established leaders in their respective fields have come together combining business and science to co-found GABA Labs. You will not believe what GABA Labs is creating. Let's go to Dr. David Nutt and David Oren to hear more. Dr. David Nutt and Dave Oren, welcome to Champagne Problems. Good to be here. Very pleased to meet you, Robbie. Wonderful. It's an honor to have you both on. Thank you for doing this with us. We're just going to dive right in. Let's get our listeners to know you a little better. Uh, we can start with Dr. Nutt, if we'd like. Take us back. So I'm an Englishman, as you can gather from my uh, accent. I was born in the West Country of England. Uh, very conventional upbringing, school, science. Got interested in medicine as a way of helping people. Went to medical school, and uh, the very first day at medical school, I was confronted with the impact of alcohol on people, my, my colleagues and my peers. That very first night, a lot of them got very drunk and their behavior changed. And I began to think, that's interesting. You know, a drug as simple as alcohol can produce such profound alterations in people's mood and behavior. And, and also, I was very fortunate because I went to a university called Cambridge, and my tutor was one of the guys that discovered the chemical basis of the brain up to that point. Back in the 1960s, people had thought the brain was an electrical organ. And then it became clear that, yes, electricity is important in, in making nerves fire, but communication in the brain is chemical. And my tutor was the guy that discovered one of the most important chemicals in the brain, a one called GABA. And uh, it turns out that that neurotransmitter has also been very, is very relevant to what I'm doing now. So studying brain chemicals is what I've done for the last 40 years. And... Uh, I'm using that knowledge now to try to see if we can replicate the good chemical effects of alcohol and minimize some of the bad ones. Wow. Got it. Robbie's panicking because he knows that now from your intro that all I'm going to do is ask really nerdy neuroscience questions the rest <laughs> of the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I might even walk out of the room. This, no. Sam Sam is the scientist between us, so she's going to probably take over here. So David Oren, let's let's hear from you. What's what's your background? Like, where were you born and, and what got you into this world? Well, actually, I was born in South America and I've lived in a lot of different countries. Um, I've done business in the States. I've lived twice in America, West Coast, uh, East Coast, and in the mountain region. I've had multiple homes in America and I've enjoyed every time. Uh, uh, and I first met David back in 2015, when I was uh, working as an investor, entrepreneur, non-executive director for various technology companies. And I was introduced to David by a, a, an old school friend of David's that I've done a lot of business projects with on the technology side in different countries, in the US and in Europe and in Asia and, and so on, and in the UK. And I was asked to give David advice on how he could launch his uh, new drink. And I thought he was... Um, 
a little bit crazy. <laughs> I thought, uh, you know, why do you want to screw with alcohol? I've got a whole cabinet full of some wonderful single malts. You know, and I, and I drink my couple of pints of beer on a Saturday after basketball coaching. Sure. You know, don't, don't mess with my uh, alcohol. I really didn't think there was any need for this. It works. Leave it alone. Interesting. Um, but then uh, we kind of got to know each other a bit better. And he, David gave me a few things to read, a few articles. And I began to realize there was a, just a whole world there that I, I needed to understand. Um, I've always regarded myself as being intelligent enough to, to study. I, I'm interested in politics and how society works and in health and history. And, I, and I've traveled extensively, lived in a lot of countries. I've had a home in, in Fiji, the home of Kava Kava. I've had offices in New Zealand and Sydney and South America. So I've experienced a lot of different types of alcohol and drinking traditions. And I have to say, I've enjoyed every one of them. Uh, I, I consider myself to be a bit of an expert on the local... <laughs> Uh, the local offerings. And I had, you know, when I came home after meeting with David and I checked my cabinet, I found I had uh, over 350 bottles collected from different countries. Wow. Not that I drink a great deal, but that I, I had taken an interest, but I was rather shocked that I didn't know what David let me know about the impact of alcohol. Mm. And I, I began to think about that a great deal and then went back and David and I talked again. And I became slow, and he slowly dragged me into this. <laughs> Uh, and then I ended up committing, and it's it's been a pretty successful run, different to what we expected. But um, yeah, I've enjoyed every moment, and I think the future looks very bright. Fascinating. Let's dig a little bit into to you guys' expertise on the alcohol side of things. Often I like to ask our guests uh, what they see as the benefits, uh, some of the values that alcohol provides us. So, Dr. Nutt, I would love to hear yours. Well, that's a, it's a really important point, and in fact, it's the central point to what we are doing. Because I drink, David drinks. I guess you two guys drink, do you? I do. I do not. Yeah, so important context probably. Um, I'll only speak for myself. So I um, have had a relationship with alcohol since I was about 16. And I have also had a relationship with being abstinent from alcohol for several years or several months at a time. And I grew up in a Scottish family and um, I'm the only one that lives in the States. And so very much familiar with kind of the British alcohol culture and the U.S. culture Mm -hmm. from having grown up here and just having to make some of those changes and really looking at the risk versus reward aspect of my relationship with alcohol. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of what led me to uh, being part of this podcast was being kind of one of those gray area drinkers and on a nightly basis, making a decision about, am I going to drink? Is it worth it? Is it not? What am I getting from it? Um, Good and bad. Mm -hmm. And Robbie would certainly, you know, think that it's important as well that, that, you know, we share the recovery side of that as well, if you want to chime in. Yeah. And, and so I haven't had a sip of alcohol and and coming up on 16 years, alcohol was a major factor in in the destruction of of my personal life as well as my family. So we, uh, we are on that side of things here. So we fall a little more extreme, or at least I do. Um, But that being said, I, I am in the world and in the field of helping others and certainly meeting them where they are. Um, I'm, I'm far from a prohibitionist. I, I'm more about equipping people with the, the right information. Um, so that's, that's what leads us to this. Great. Well, you see, that's kind of where we are. I mean, uh, obviously, as a, as a doctor, I, I meet the negatives of alcohol uh, in all aspects of life, like all doctors always do, from you know, the problems of the liver and the, and the heart and the brain. 
and the dependence and the hangovers it's and the car accidents etc etc um, but as a drinker you know I enjoy alcohol and uh, it's as most people do most people drink but not everyone gets into problems and a lot of my research has been trying to understand the nature of that which it takes people from what you might call sensible drinking to a loss of control drinking and that that's a very difficult thing to do and we got some ideas as to what the switch is and how we might switch it back but it did occur to me you know about 15 years ago when i was working on this government program that maybe maybe if we provided people with an alternative to alcohol that didn't throw the switch the dependence the loss of control we could actually allow people to get the benefits of equivalent benefits to alcohol with a lot less of the harms and that's what really we've as a company have been targeting giving people choice and hopefully in the end finding giving producing drinks which will re much reduce the, the risk that alcohol produces to them when you were doing the kind of research on alcohol and, and safe drinking can you share some of the findings i know that i was um laughing out loud reading one of your uh, kind of phrases and it had to do with how many straws you would need to bring to share a glass of wine. Can you kind of speak into that a little bit? Yeah, so when you look at the the safety of alcohol, the harms of alcohol, there's a, a, a quite often there's a statistic put out there that, um, that alcohol, although everyone accepts that alcohol is harmful on the liver and the brain, uh, and the blood pressure, et cetera, but it might protect particularly middle-aged to elderly men against cardiovascular disease, heart disease. And this has been a very important flag. The drinks industry have flown that flag. They've beaten that drum saying, look, you know, it's not all bad. There's a good, there are good things from alcohol as well as bad things. But the interesting aspect about that good thing if, if alcohol is helpful to your cardiovascular system, and, uh, as I say, and, and it only seems to be true for men, not women, the amount you need to drink to optimize that benefit, to minimize the downside of drinking, even on the heart, uh, is it's about you know, half a glass of wine or, or a, about a, a half a, bottle, a pint of beer. And as I say to my students, so you can't go into a bar and ask for half a glass of wine. So order a glass and three straws and then share it with each other. And that way you'll get to know people better as well as getting the health benefits. Yeah, I just think it's so interesting when we're like, if we actually want to talk about reaping the benefit of alcohol, this is what it would look like. And yet sometimes we take that statistic and we just run with it and go, see, it's not all bad, just like you said. And, and we use that kind of as our reasoning for continuing to indulge. And at the same time, a lot of us do know that there are harmful aspects to it. But I you know, Robbie and Patrick and I, the, the kind of three co-hosts talk about this all the time, but is this a misinformation issue? Is it a lack of information issue? Like, do, do people just really not know enough about it being harmful or, and or is the, the positive experience of the way that you feel drinking enough to have us disregard the negative? Well, I think it's a complicated mixture of all of them. I mean, clearly the drinks industry has not wanted to uh, get the truth out there. It's muddied the waters quite a lot. In fact, 
I don't know, David, do you want to share your experience of that conference in, uh, in China where you met one or two of the uh, scientists who were supporting the health <laughs> benefits of alcohol? It's truly, truly fascinating story. And yeah, please. Do you think we should share that or not? Yeah, David was invited to a conference in China and we put together a PowerPoint. Um, and at the very last moment, David was unable to attend. So I thought, well, OK, I'll, I'll go. And I'll speak. Um, I'll speak to the subject uh, using the notes, and so I attended and got to know a lot of people. There were 250 people, most of them PhDs, doctors of one sort or another, but most of them uh, specialists in uh, most of them Chinese and specialists in the drinks and brewing and distilling industry, with a lot of Europeans and American professors, very senior scientists, invited to talk on the subject of public health and how to reduce the harms of alcohol. And over the three days of the conference, I was completely shocked, shocked, really. Uh, it was a big turning point in my life to see people that I knew to be intelligent, parents, you know, they talked about their children and the, and the times during over lunch and in the evening. And what they were able to do is reposition the whole theme of the conference from being one of concern for how to address the, the level of alcoholism. And remember, in, in China, 600,000 people die of alcohol poisoning at one level or other per year that, that's just a number that is completely stopped and the oh, government wow. and the pro the conference was opened by government people and members of the communist party and public health and the different regions and they were very excited by this conference because we had all these scientists but then over the next three days we had presentations and i, I kept them and i've got them because it, they're hard to believe until you actually see it where one of the presentations actually concluded, his conclusion was that alcohol is an essential component of a healthy diet. And he then spoke, the last sentence was, and in fact, an unlimited quantity. And I was staggered by wow. this. Wow. On the trip, we'd done some flying around China. We'd actually shared a room uh, with the aircraft. We got, ended up in a, in a, in a sea we weren't planning on. So there was a shortage of rooms. And we actually got to know each other quite well. He talked about his family. And this is somebody who'd done some research sponsored by one of the world's largest beer companies, in fact. And his conclusion was, to me, immoral. It was just unethical. And I was shocked. Now, I am not against alcohol. Yeah. I still drink, and I, and I enjoy it, and I always have done. And this is the difference between David and I. I was positively in favor of alcohol because I think it's a really important part of, uh, has been, at least in my life. Uh, I've been in business, and I've traveled, and... Wherever I go, it's a way of breaking the ice, opening conversations. Uh, and um, and as in my life, I've controlled, I think I've controlled it and the people I've been with. Um, I think, and David, David owns a wine bar in London. So he's not actually against alcohol. He's just much more aware of the medical impact. Yeah. So we're both kind of pro-alcohol. We're pro the effect of alcohol. But now I'm resolutely aware of the damage it creates. I, I, and I know there are alternatives. You can't see, but I'm holding one in my hand. It's one of the things that we've created, and I want this to be a. I want this to be out there. So we're kind of passionate about what people want from the, from that moment, but I also want people to have a choice. I want people to make to have better choices, and I think people will make good decisions if they have better choices. That's shocking. Yeah, I would have the same experience of you know just going. But you're so intelligent. Like, what's happening? How did you, how did you turn that into that? How did you come up with that being, the conclusion to say, you know, certainly, 
I think as for myself, at least as a gray area drinker, I absolutely acknowledge the importance that alcohol has, the ritual of it, the benefits of it, the reasons I'm drawn to it. But to turn that into actually it's an essential part of your diet in unlimited quantities. I mean, that feels, I'll use your word, immoral. Yeah. Yeah. It was shocking, actually. Yeah. Because the the truth is, it sounds like you've really had a relationship in with Dr. Nutt of starting to understand that th- that's not at all the truth. You know, the truth is there are some very real pathologies that come from alcohol use in the body, the brain and, and behavior. And I'm, I'm curious for you, how far apart does that conclusion come from what you've learned? Well, I, when I, when I saw that, I, I kind of, the, the penny dropped really, I realized, and I, I looked at where the funding had come from for the research that they conducted. And I came back to the UK and spoke with David and spoke about the data he presented. And David explained that in the, in the, in the, the tiny part of health, that he was able to point at, it could be argued that alcohol has a positive effect, like it's on half a percent of the body. But the problem is on all the other aspects of health, it will kill you. So for that one micro, very, and I realize that it's about the use of language and branding and marketing, and that we're being, we're actually offering, and then Joe Public, the guy that's, people who walk in the street, don't have the scientific knowledge or the time to investigate. And so statements are made which are entirely right. misleading. And then we grow up and I felt, gosh, you know, I'm an educated guy. I've got two kids that are 16. At that time, they were 15. And after meeting Dave, I came home and looked at my cocktail cabin and realized that at the end of it, all of the books and gifts that I'd received ever were on the end of the cabinet. Why? Because they were all related to alcohol. And so inadvertently, I had been conveying this impression to my own kids, my own offspring, that alcohol was a, a wonderful thing to be to be identified with, um, and I, I kind of began to realize that um, I need to check how I present myself and how I present alcohol. And my kids now are very healthy, but they have friends who've been through some tough times. And alcohol is a gateway drug, in fact, because it it leads to a, a, a need to have substance. Um, and, and unfortunately, my kids aren't affected, but by, but a lot of their friends are. And I think alcohol was the original gateway drug. Um, so, I, yeah, my, my conclusion from that was a, a level of anger. And that anger with the industry made me decide I wanted to do something about it. But I wanted to do something about it, not in a puritanical way, because I've had a very, very good life. I've, I've had some very pleasant moments in my life. And alcohol has been a part of those. So we simply, we didn't want to deny that. We want people to enjoy, we want human race to enjoy its time on this planet and to get the things that alcohol provides but in a way that's not damaging for us and in a way that doesn't hurt us and that's where I, I, I began to appreciate the, the kind of work that David had been doing and, and realised that this needed to happen it was, an, it, it was an imperative this needed to become reality and I gradually transitioned from being partly interested to actually full time and then heavily investing my own hard earned and my college kid my kids college fees I, I like to tell them that they'll, they'll get it back once we're successful. Um, so they have college debt because everything I've got has gone into this. Um, Just hang tight. But we've achieved a lot. Yeah. You know, we've achieved a lot. It's been wow. six years so far, but we have a product which works. And, um, and we've also gone on beyond the original plan, which was a synthetic, to, 
They're getting out to create botanical products that come from the food chain. And then go further again to understand the role mm. of GABA, not just in the brain, but where it starts in the gut. So, and I think that's incredibly exciting because it turns out that GABA has this, you know, I, I used to tell people it's like one platform at King's Cross. You know, it's one of the platforms and the others are serotonin and, and all the others. But as we've investigated further and further and developed more research programs, which are looking into the, the gastrointestinal tract, we realize that GABA is right there mm. at the beginning of the formation of a human being. Uh, and and we've, we've, we, as we've researched and found, it isn't that GABA is one of the platforms at King's Cross Station. It's actually in the station master's office and it's orchestrating the, the movement of trains in and out. And in fact, if you look at some of the bacteria that's necessary to metabolize glutamate into GABA, we find there's an extreme level of this at the very early stage of the baby. Now, why is that important? Because it tells us that GABA is, that, is right there at the construction of the, uh, the systems of the human being. It actually it determines that uh, it, has a, it has a largely uh, a great determinant role in the healthy construction of the human being. So we're very, very excited about the work that, about the data that we're getting, uh, about the research that we're uncovering. We think that the company has an opportunity because there is a, a huge market for an alcohol alternative, and we think that we will have the funds to continue that research and to go into far-reaching areas of nutrition and wellness. We think that GABA has a, has a huge role to play. Uh, and so developing an alternative to alcohol is, is a goal. It's a very important goal. I think it'll drive funding for our organization. Getting investment funding is important. But what we can do with that revenue once the company is, is out there in the market is quite, uh, is, is, is very, very exciting. It's very far-reaching. That's amazing to hear, especially from the business guy, David, like that, that you are actually really invested in what this means for the human race, where this came from, what we can do differently, and that there is kind of this philanthropic, how can we do this better or differently and not just say, hey, alcohol's bad, let's remove it, but let's really look at what's at the source. If we are if this is from inception, right, and it's in our gut, and this is something that we're naturally going to uh, crave or seek, how else can we do it safely? And one thing I'm very aware of is how obsessive and deep into this I can get, because I want to understand <laughs> all of those train stops and what's going on there. And curious uh, for either of you, if, if there's a way to kind of present the information about targeting GABA that our listeners could digest. So, you know, what's going on with this new creation of uh, Sentia, your product, and how is it different from alcohol? What does it do? How does it work? Would you be willing to talk us through that? I would also, if you could keep in mind, if, if we have listeners that are sitting here saying, what in the hell is GABA? Okay, so what is GABA? Well, GABA is a very small molecule that has been around since life has been around, but which in our brains has become the major controlling neurotransmitter for levels of anxiety and stress. And alcohol clearly has a powerful effect to reduce anxiety, particularly in social situations. Why do we drink when we go to parties with strangers? Because Human beings are naturally a little bit anxious with strangers. Alcohol turns off that anxiety. How does it do that? Well, it does it by mimicking GABA. So I've come from the position that 
the good effects, the socializing, conviviality, relaxing effects of alcohol are likely, and there's evidence for this now, due to it, it having a, an impact to promote GABA function in the brain. So, if we can replace alcohol with something else that promotes GABA function in the brain, then we can get those desired effects. But if we're very clever about it, we can avoid the other impacts of alcohol, which are on many other different neurotransmitter systems. So the, the, the way, reason people lose control when they start drinking a little bit too much is almost certainly not GABA, but it's almost certainly due to alcohol affecting other transmitters, such as dopamine, which is what cocaine affects, and the endorphin system, which of course is what opiates and heroin affects. We can avoid all those interactions by having a much more specific targeted molecule that just works on the GABA system. And there's one final twist, just for you, Sam, one final twist of the science. Because GABA is so important, it's everywhere in the brain, there are at least 15 different subtypes of GABA receptors and they're in different brain regions. And so we can not only target GABA, but we can target subtypes of GABA to try to get some, what you might call regional selectivity of the effects as well. And that's what we've done. Well, let me just say, when we began, we were looking entirely at the how, uh, how the GABA neurotransmitter functions and how alcohol mimics and how alcohol overwhelms. And one of the models I've used to explain to people who, who aren't, have no science at all is, if you get into a car and you want to go somewhere and have a nice journey, the last thing you're going to do is put your foot on the accelerator and on the brake and put on the radio and the cassette player and the CD player and open all the windows and put the air conditioning on and put the heat, heat warmers on. You're not going to do that. Well, that's kind of what alcohol does. It overwhelms all of the controls. Uh, what Dave Nutt has done very intelligently is identify what is the thing that is pleasant about alcohol and how do we mimic that? And I was present when we actually did something which had never been done before, which is that we modeled on a computer how uh, the molecule begins to come in and dock onto the moiety of the, of the, of the protein and uh, of the molecule which represents it. And we were, I was observing what looked like a tiny little spaceship docking on the mothership. And as it came in close, it's using some fairly complex algorithms it docked, and it docked in a particular place, which when that happens in the neurotransmitter protein, actually gives you a sense of relaxation. And that was, we, we did a lot of that work in order to design a molecule that could work in the way that we needed it to work. And we've done some work which is absolutely published publication material. It's world's first, but we can't publish it because we have to give something back to the investors. And so we have to keep confidentiality for our, our intellectual property. Well, at some point we will publish. So that I was experiencing this journey as, as the scientists were developing what we were doing. It was very, very, um, uh, you know, for me, extremely exciting to see this. Um, what we're now excited about is that having understood and modeled and then created uh, products that do mimic the, the role of, of uh, alcohol without those other effects, we're now looking at where else in the body GABA is active. And we're finding now that GABA actually is enormously active from the from the the the, uh, the GI tract, and we have research programs now in another university, which is very much a food oriented university, where we're looking at the role of GABA in food, uh, and from an early age and throughout life, and looking to see if we can understand 
the role of GABA in foods and how different foods will have positive uh, effects on, 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 on human health and wellness. So yes, it began in the brain, but actually now we're looking at GABA through the whole tract. From the, from the, and it can be argued that the brain is, that the, the stomach is, in fact, the very first brain. You know, the fir very first uh, organisms that engage GABA, um, the, that was, the digestion process was the brain. Uh, and it still does play a significant role in how we, in how we function. This is just so mind-blowing to me because it seems so, of course, in hindsight, once really intelligent people like you have done all of this work, I'm like, well, duh, this makes total sense, you know? And really looking at, like, alcohol seems clumsy when you look at it like this. It it comes in and just kind of sits on everything, releases everything, or prevents the reuptake of everything, and it hits all these different receptors. And when you really clean it up and... Um, almost do that spot treatment of, you know, maybe it's just these couple of subtypes of GABA that need to be hit for us to feel the positive effects of alcohol. And we don't need the clumsiness of alcohol running around bopping on everything. It seems really intuitive to say, let's target this and let's make sure that the product we create isn't also um, recklessly igniting all these other ones. And so I, I guess my curiosity immediately is with the reward pathway system. And we often talk about when someone's developed a substance use disorder and, you know, we've maybe created some brain changes in the reward pathway. How does your product just targeting GABA interact with that? So in other words, is this safe for people who are in recovery or is this something that is still considered psychoactive and probably is best if kind of kept away from? The, the botanical product is, is relatively mild. Um, it, it's a definite effect, but it's relatively mild. Uh, we developed the botanical product not as an alternative to the synthetic, but as a way for people to experience what the GABA effect really is, because it's a very hard thing to explain and, and people can to relate to unless you can actually feel it. In fact, David and I were sitting in the wine bar where we used to have our board meetings four years ago now, and we tested a lot of botanical versions of our product. And I, the scientists kept telling me, yes, it's, it's possible, and there is a plateau and a, a flat curve effect. And, and I was the investor, and I was kind of going broke slowly. So I was reluctant to believe until I could definitely feel it. And, you know, we had another six units, and in those days, each unit used to cost us £180 to make. Because, you know, we're very, this is pre-scale up and so on. Uh, this is just plant-based, plant-based from the food chain, from the standard normal food chain. And David and I, we, I, we, we took three gulps of the new one and uh, I was expecting not much. And all of a sudden it was just there. It was just there. I had the mouthfeel. I felt like I just had a really nice glass of wine. And I'd only, we'd only had three gulps. And I thought, is that, is that real? And I looked at David, and David was across the table with a huge smile on his face. <laughs> I thought, gosh, my God, my God, this is, this is it. This is, this is real. This is in Dave's wine bar. And we're having this moment. So I said to David, look, we've only got six units. You've promised me there's this flat curve where after, after X units, it doesn't continue to increase the effect. And I want to test that. I want to drink all the units myself. And said so David reluctantly going. agreed. And I sat down and I forced myself to drink six units in the next hour because I wanted to test for that flat curve. And the flat curve was just impressive. I yeah. couldn't 
it got to a, a level of effect and I stayed there. It wouldn't go further. Of course. And from wow. that moment, I was, and I, you know, obviously I'd spent quite a bit of money and we'd worked hard and traveled extensively. But from that moment, I was an utter, you know, I was, I was so committed. Uh, nothing would, would get me away from this. And we've, we've developed the product now and that's now on sale. And we've got some fantastic uh, followers. Interesting, it doesn't affect everybody. Some people don't feel it. And we find that some people with a certain history will feel it more than others. And one of the types of followers who really enjoy what we do is people who used to drink alcohol a lot and then decided not to. Those people really appreciate, and I won't say all, I can't be too gen I can't generalize because we don't have data yet on this, but the people who will tell us they love it and they have it every day are people who usually have drunk alcohol every day and now repl have replaced um, it with. But people who drink a lot today and they don't necessarily enjoy Sentia, our botanical drink, as much. It's the people who used to hmm. and have moved away from it. Huh. Well, I'm your I'm your target. Once you start shipping to the United States, uh, put me down for a case. Send me your address and we'll send you a box as a gift. I can't sell it in the US right now, but I can send it to you as a gift. I would love I would love that. Wow. I would love that. Thank you. Yeah, I'm I've already looked it up. I'm like I'm ordering, you know, a couple of bottles to my parents' house so that when I get there in 5 weeks, oh, I can right. try it. I'm this is really exciting for I think um I won't speak for all gray area drinkers, but for me because certainly that's it is that little piece of relief that comes with, you know, if something could help me in those first 15 20 minutes with strangers, like that would be great, but I really do not need the anxiety, the stomach ache, the headache, the thing, the fatigue that comes with alcohol. And I think on that note, I'm really curious about alcohol from my understanding is fairly, um, there's a lot of neurotoxicity, like it's literally bra killing brain cells and things like that. And obviously the, the alcohol going throughout the body affects GI tract, digestive tract, you know, all the different things. But for your product, is there still a level of, is it affecting brain cells still? Or is it so targeted that that is less messy than it is with alcohol. That's the plan, Sam. Let me just talk you through that, Sam. So, yeah. so the first thing is that why does alcohol, alcohol doesn't kill the brain through its pharmacology. It damages the brain for two reasons. The first is it's neuroinflammation. And that alcohol itself is toxic because you, you know, I mean, if you've got a cut, and you rub alcohol into the cut to kill the bugs, it stings. It stings because it's the alcohol itself as a chemical is directly damaging and irritating the cells that are exposed by the cut. But worse than that, alcohol is then broken down, as you know, in the liver to something called acetaldehyde. And acetaldehyde is a pickling agent. It, it's only one carbon atom removed from formaldehyde, and formaldehyde is what we preserve dead bodies in. And so acetaldehyde is very good at what we basically stabilizing protein so they don't work. So it essentially pickles your liver and your blood vessels and your brain. And then the, the third thing that happens is it, that it produces what we call free radicals, and free radicals you know, essentially are toxic substances and a lot of modern health foods are designed to mop up free radicals. Now I can say categorically that the substances we're working with and we're going to make 
they will not do those things and and we will know that because they will we will put it through food safety testing and in order to get the license to sell it so we will at that point prove that we don't have that impact we can't say for certain we don't yet but from the known pharmacology of what we're working with and also because we're using such tiny amounts compared with alcohol with alcohol you drink grams to get an effect with with, with Arcarel, you'll be taking milligrams so you know a thousand times less and that gives you of course wow. an enormous greater margin of safety so for various reasons we're pretty confident that uh, we can definitely do better than alcohol in terms of uh, damage to, to the body and the brain it's like your tagline should be like get your social ease and your GABA stimulation without a side of pickling agent like <laughs> we don't we don't it's, want it's, <laughs> we don't want all that that's not what i ordered <laughs> we, and the tagline that we use is drinking, drinking but, but better. better yeah i like it we have to be careful we don't make claims uh, sure. and certainly <laughs> until we've done all of the, the regulatory uh, safety testing at that point we'll be able to say more but right now drinking but better or what people want from drinking without the alcohol. Right. Do you foresee this product perhaps being a tool in helping people that battle heavy addiction to alcohol? The danger with answering that question is we, we, we end up putting ourselves potentially yep. into a therapeutic category, which then kind of confuses regulators and the marketplace. So I, we don't like okay. to, to say yes to that that question. What I can tell you is that there's a lot of people who used to be heavy drinkers and who enjoy and who, who are no longer heavy drinkers and who miss the experience that drinking can bring, who really quite enjoy Sentia, the botanical product. So we, we can say that because that is a fact. That is, you know, we're told that all the time. But I don't think we can put ourselves into, into the category of, of providing therapeutic products. That's a different board. Understood. Altogether. Understood. Our vision is not to provide people who've got alcohol dependence with a treatment, as David pointed out. Our vision is to give young people who would have that vulnerability an option. So that if they do sense early in their drinking careers that they're vulnerable, they have an alternative. And at present, they don't. And, and, that's, that, and we hope, therefore, in time, over generations, we will begin to erode the number of people who get into problems with alcohol because we believe that it's much less likely they're getting into problems with uh, Arcarel or Sentia. I love the just the way that you phrase that, Dr. Nutov. This is really just another option, and it can be a, an additional one, a safer one, however you know you want to word that. But I think for a long time there's been alcoholics and then there's been muggles, right? And there's really nothing... Mm -hmm in between and yeah. so you either get to drink and you do it successfully or you can't have anything and yeah. for me i think just as a gray area drinker one of the things that's really appealing to me about um the the science around this is actually the plateauing effect that i cannot overdo it that i can't it's not going to become necessarily for me behaviorally something that i'm I'm overindulging in if there is this natural flatlining with the effect and I'm not losing all of my other senses in the process. One of the visions that we have, which I think is a, a glimmer in our minds, is the, to turn the pub, the English pub, 
into a place of safety and sanctuary mm. where you actually go to get better, a place of wellness as opposed to a place that you avoid because you've already been there twice this week and you mustn't go again. It's bad for your health. I want it to be somewhere where you can go to be spiritually uplifted because you can connect with people and where what you consume is actually good for you as opposed to be bad for you. If we can get to a place where that is an option, I think we'll have done something quite Oh, important. wow. That's very cool. You know, my mind goes a lot of times in this in these types of discussions is, is, you know, when I was drinking, it was very much filling a spiritual void that I had. And, and the effects of alcohol gave me that, that spiritual feeling. And you often even hear that in the 12-step model, that it's a spiritual problem and that kind of thing. Yeah. And alcohol did. It, 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 the yeah. effects made me feel whole and, and, and content and, and a part of yeah. something greater. Um, and, and, I, and I'm hearing you as you described GABA and, and the effects of the botanical drink, um, that that is perhaps the, the goal, is to, is to recreate those kinds of feelings. Is that, is that accurate? It's to enable that level of conviviality that allows you to explore ideas and thoughts and a spiritual relationship with other people. But unfortunately, alcohol, it's, it's, a very, it's a very short thing with alcohol because one immediately goes past that to a loss of control, loss of executive function, uh, you know, I, I, I dropped my daughter off uh, at university several years ago, and I, we, we dropped her off, and we were very sad. So we went off for a meal around the corner in a place called Rush Home in Manchester, where there's a, quite a lot of Asian restaurants, and there was, there was a shisha bar. We went to that shisha bar, and I watched, and there was no alcohol being served, but it was full of men and women, different ages. And the level of connection that they were experiencing in that bar was something that I hadn't observed before, was a highly concentrated, dense connection environment. Somebody walked through the door, everybody would look, their eyes would connect, they'd be synchronizing, they'd smile. And I remember that, and at the time I was thinking, every Saturday, and that was a Saturday evening, every Saturday I would sit in a pub from six to eight after a game of basketball. I used to be a basketball coach. And I would, and I was comparing what I was seeing with what I see in an English pub. And in an English pub, although we think we're having fun, although we think we're connecting, most people are shouting. Most people aren't really listening to each other. They're talking <laughs> at each other. Yeah. They're hearing themselves be really clever. They're not really, it's not really a two-way conversation. Nothing like what was happening in this shisha bar where there was no alcohol being consumed. Now, I think the people in this particular restaurant knew each other really well. It was a community. So there was a closeness, a conviviality, a relationship. It was a wonderful space to just observe. And I almost felt lonely because I wasn't part of that. I would have wanted to be part of that community where there was this real, real connection. Everybody in the group was connected to each other. And no one was shouting, telling long stories that <laughs> no one else really related to. And, I, and I, I would love for us to be able to provide, to enable that to happen with, so that strangers can come together and have that level of connection without um, the tension and the, you know, I don't know who you are and all, all the things that humans go through as they're trying to come together to, to make to make contact. And I think alcohol plays that role a little bit, but then you lose control. What we're trying to do is something that takes you just to that. We call it the two level. I think, David, you mentioned that, right? The two, the two drink point, when you've had two drinks, yeah. Yeah. and then holding it there. Yeah. You know, maybe two small glasses of wine, but not, and then holding it at that level. Mm -hmm. That's like my whole wow. fantasy with drinking. So, I when uh, when I persuade David Aaron to release a little more money, 
I'm pretty certain I can do an experiment in, uh, in humans <laughs> where I can show that alcohol, once you pass that two, that two drink mark, starts to release dopamine. And that's what drives the loss of control, the moorishness, the desire to keep drinking. And I'm fairly confident, although until we do the experiment, I can't be sure. I'm fairly confident that, that alcohol will not do that. I really think it's important that you you all are taking a look at the connection piece and just what humans crave outside of just dopamine release. And so much of that, I think, is connection, especially with where we are in the world now. It's totally. it's hard to connect. It's hard to get to know strangers. Mm. Nothing feels safe anymore. So to that you're you're solving all of my issues, that's for sure, with alcohol. Because I'm like, yeah, hold <laughs> me at that two-drink feeling. Let me connect with other people. And wouldn't it be wonderful if I could also tell the people around me to only drink that amount or to drink your product yes. so that I don't feel so disconnected when I'm maybe sober and they are telling the same story that I've heard five times very loudly and very close to my face once they're drunk. Yeah, a lot of spit. Such an important thing, though, because when you look at the history of alcohol going back for thousands of years, it has been very instrumental in social bonding. So it has had enormous benefits. And the problem is is that it has the disbenefits as well. And if we could just get the benefits without the disbenefits, wouldn't that be wonderful? Absolutely. Well, we're looking forward to to being in the U.S. We do want to be in the U.S. this year. Um, we've got a we're a small company at the moment, and we're expanding, and we're going through some funding, and that should help us to launch into America. Um, and I'm, I'm very much looking forward to bringing our botanicals to the U.S. We're also going to be um, doing the regulatory work with the FDA in the U.S. So uh, we expect to spend quite a bit of time in the U.S. and I and I look forward to coming to your part of the world as well. Uh, so please do and please keep us in the loop you know I really want to circle back to this because I think that one of the things that speaks volumes um, in talking with you both today is just how much um, investment not financial investment is in this for both of you and the way that you've both been able to expand each other's views vision this beautiful coming together of creativity, funding, research, and really interest in expanding. And I, one of the things that we love to ask and to just have you share with our listeners is just individually, why do you why do you care about this so much? Why is this journey so important to you, whether it's the product or just the, the exploration process? Mm-hmm. And, and um, David, if you want to go first, and then I'd love to hear Dr. Nuts as well. Well, when I met David, he... he you know, I, I really didn't think that I, I didn't want to be part of what David was doing. I thought it was crazy. Uh, I mentioned I, I'm quite enjoying my single malt and my glasses of wine. Mm-hmm. And why are you screwing with something that works? But he gave me an article to read. And in the article, it said that every family in England or in Britain has someone who suffered very badly. And he said he was very emphatic, every family. I, I thought to myself, that's crazy. But when I went back and sat on the train, I kind of gave some thought to this. And I realized that when I was living in Denver, I did my MBA in Denver, I drank a lot of alcohol. Uh, And I had tolerance. I was young and I could do that. Uh, But I drank and it didn't hurt me. I got to a point where I realized I got woke up in the morning and I I wanted to drink something. And I thought, okay, okay, this is where I draw the line and I pull back. 
But I was a bad example to my nephews. And that became a problem for them. And it's only after I met David that I began to think through what kind of example I might have been. And I realized that it's very likely that I created damage in my family, which no one ever speaks about. It's quite exactly what David said. In fact, so much so that I hadn't even thought about it until David challenged me to think about it. And that's when I got home and looked at the cocktail cabinet and realized that my kids were 15. They were about to have a major party. And I had to get the alcohol off the out of the room and into boxes. I didn't want to be a problem for my kids. So I think we've all done things in our lives that we look back and wish we could fix. And, you know, some things you can't fix, but you can do something to put something back in. I've also had an enormously wonderful time in, in social situations in my life. And I, and I don't want that to go away. I want that to happen. So we want to deliver something which allows that to happen, which allows people to connect. And when I look at the issues that are happening in America and in Europe as well, with the lack of connection between people, isolate, social isolation, and then a move towards drugs. I think if we can provide something which allows that connection to happen, think of the, uh, it can have a much greater impact on society. So I think we've, we have the opportunity to do something that's very, very important. And, you know, we only get one life and, 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 and we happen to be holding that opportunity. And I don't think there's anyone else in the world that has done the kind of work that David has done. And I think if it's going to happen, it's going to have to happen with David at the lead from the scientific point of view. So I think I'm, I happen to be lucky to be here and to have connected with David. Well, thank you, David. Wow. I mean, thank you. I mean, from my perspective, uh, uh, I spent the first, well, I, I made a little anecdote. When I was doing my PhD in 1980, I discovered an alcohol antidote. I could, I could wake up a drunk rat and make it walk normally. Walk along the white line, like Officer said. <laughs> and I went running into my professor. I said, I've got the Nobel Prize. I've got an alcohol antidote. I can sober up a rat. And he said, what's the point of that? And I said, well, uh, uh, you could walk along the line. You could drive home safely. You might remember who you were talking to and what you did. And he said, yeah, but it'll still damage your liver and your heart and your brain, won't it, the alcohol? And needless to say, I've not got the Nobel Prize. <laughs> but what I have done is <laughs> I've continued with the science. And actually, so what's exciting for me is that is that actually we've come, we've completely changed our direction from blocking the negative effects of alcohol, which is impossible, which is possible, to replicating them. So it's been a scientific adventure, which accords and fits in beautifully with my clinical need as a, as a doctor who sees the problems of alcohol, like all doctors do on a daily basis. So I've been very privileged to, to be able to do something that's both scientifically challenging and also hopefully uh, very helpful to my patients. Wow. Thank you. I, I knew that I was going to be awestruck by the science. <sighs> I think one of the things that I really didn't expect from today was to actually feel really inspired and really honored to have you all share as vulnerably as you have about why this is important to you and and really the true meaning around what can be changed or become more optional for the human race for generations and, and to continue to move the science forward so we can do this smarter. So thank you so much just on a, on a personal note, both as a drinker and as a professional in the field. I'm, I'm really honored to be part of the conversation. Well, thank you for the opportunity to, to talk about what we're doing. 
and I as well. I, I would echo that as well. Obviously, I, I come from a, a different background and, and certainly came in with a little more skepticism, and, and I loved hearing both of you explain it from a scientific standpoint as well as a, a business perspective, and it's it's turned me, and I can't wait to try it. Um, you know, I have to be very careful with products like, yeah. maybe not like this, but like that are out there, and uh, I feel very... I feel confident that I, I, I can try that with, with the right amount of safety. So thank you both for coming on. Uh, we cannot thank you enough. This was, this was an honor to hear from both of you. I am going to send you my address. Mm -hmm. Good. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> thank you so much. We really appreciate it. General excitement around the advancement of beverage options should not be taken as an endorsement of safety or encouragement for you to indulge in these products. We encourage our listeners to consider all parts of their health and wellness, including history or presence of substance use disorder, in consultation with a professional to determine if these products are safe for you as an individual. The information and opinions shared on this podcast are solely those of the hosts and guests and are not a substitute for medical advice. If you feel like you may need professional help, here are some resources. For the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration hotline, call 1-800-662-4357 or visit smsa.gov. For listeners in the Charlotte, North Carolina community, visit dilworthcenter.org or call 704-372-6969 or visit theblanchardinstitute.com or call 704-288-1097.